And this is week one of our, our brand new series throughout the book of James. I hope you had an opportunity just to read it. It's five short chapters, but uh, certainly packed with so much content. And today's message, man, it's, it's just like that. It's going to be packed with content. I was talking to my, my beautiful wife, Tiffany, and I was like, I don't know, babe. I think there could be three messages here, but we're just going to pile them into, into one. So buckle up, buttercup. We're going for a ride. Hope you got a pen, paper. You can refer to these later. And, uh, and I hope this is, it'll strengthen you throughout out the week. But here we go. Uh, James chapter one in verse one, it reads this. Uh, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And right here we get an introduction to the author of this book, James. And James, he simply introduces himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, James was a humble humble dude, because James could have introduced himself as James, the pastor of the mother church in Jerusalem. He could have introduced himself as the lead, the lead pastor of the church that founded Christianity in Jerusalem, because that was his role. He could have introduced himself as a man of influence, uh, because James wasn't only the pastor in Jerusalem, but he was an elder of the New, New Testament church. Like James, he oversaw a whole lot and offered spiritual guidance and shepherding. And it was, it was James, whenever, whenever the apostle Peter, when Paul, when Barnabas in the book of Acts, they come to, to the elders to say like, what do we do with these Gentile believers? Like people like you, people like me, like, like what should we tell them? It was James who stood up in that meeting and said, hey, here's the direction I think we should go. And, and Paul and Peter and all the other apostles said, yep, that's a man of wisdom. Let's follow that counsel. And they did. I mean, James was a man of influence. He was a big deal. Uh, not only that, but James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ himself. And, uh, and perhaps for me, I would say perhaps this is the greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Because, I mean, you think about it. What would it take for you to be convinced that your brother was the long-awaited Messiah? Like James wasn't buying it. James, like Jesus, you're, you're who? Like, I remember beating you up. Like, brother, I've smelt your farts. I don't think you're the Messiah. Like whatever the case may be, like he wasn't buying it, right? And we read this in John 7, 5, he says, even his brothers, they didn't even, they didn't believe him. And it's understandable because it's his, it's his brother. But perhaps James was there when they saw him torture his brother. Perhaps James was there when he saw his brother Jesus, his half-brother, hanging there on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins and mine. Perhaps James was there when he saw Jesus take his last breath as they, they brought his body off of that cross. Perhaps James was there when they saw him lay his body in a tomb and roll that heavy stone over the entrance to that tomb. Perhaps James was there. All that's kind of guesswork, but what we do know to be true is that James was there after the resurrection of Jesus and James saw him and it changed his life forever. We read this in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that, 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 that Jesus, he appeared to the 12 disciples. He also appeared to 500 believers. And, and, and the author of 1 Corinthians was saying, hey, matter of fact, these people are still alive. Like, you don't have to take my word for it. He appeared to these people. Go ask them. They're alive. And then it says this, this passage that I'd always overlooked until preparing for this message. It says he appeared to the 12, he appeared to 500, and then he appeared to James, and here he is, 
author of this book that we are now diving into. And we don't know what took place in that moment when James saw the resurrection of his half brother. We don't know what took place when he saw the resurrected savior. Maybe he threw his arms around and said, brother, I'm so sorry, I'll follow you forever. We don't know. But what we do know is that James became a fully devoted follower of Jesus who would ultimately lay down his life as a martyr for the cause of Christ. And he was martyred in AD 62. I'm just saying James was a big deal, but he simply introduces himself with this sentiment, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say this, he introduces himself and he says this, here's who I'm writing to. He says, he says, I'm writing James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And isn't it nice to know that we aren't the first church to be scattered? Isn't it nice to know that the New Testament believers face similar circumstances to what we're experiencing, but they were scattered for a very different reason. Uh, we read in, in the book of Acts that there's this guy named Stephen and Stephen was a follower of Jesus and he was there in Jerusalem and no doubt had interacted with James and probably under James's ministry. And, and Stephen was executed. He was, he was killed with, by people hurling rocks at him. He was stoned to death for the cause of Christ and this struck fear amidst the church and this church that James was pastoring is now scattered among the nations. It was a trying time for the church then. It's a trying time for our church now, but thankfully circumstances are a little bit different today than they were back then. And thankfully, I'm not writing you a letter, but we have this means of communication today. So James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And that, that, that sentence right there, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, is really why we land ourselves in this series. Because since March of 2020, we've been a scattered church. We, this, this sentence has been resonating over and over throughout my mind. Like, like so I want to say like, hey, central family, scattered among the nations. Greetings. We're glad that you've tuned in. And, and, and so we can learn what James would say to a scattered church then and what he might say to a scattered church today. And the first thing that James does, he knows people are struggling. He knows that being a scattered church isn't easy. He knows times are difficult. And so he talks to the church first thing out of the gate about trials in life. And here's what he wants you to know. First point is this, and I hope you're taking notes. God wants to use trials to mature us. God desires to use trials to mature us. Here's what he says in James chapter one, the second verse says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, now how do we become mature? How do we become complete? How do we become not lacking anything? He, he tells us, he says, let perseverance finish at work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. And some of us are like, I wish I didn't raise my hand earlier. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't want that. Uh, but, but, but James lets us know that it's actually through these trials that God is developing us, that God wants to use trials to mature us. If you're taking extra notes, I invite you to write this down, that, that trials are things that happen to us. 
Uh, trials actually come from the outside, unexpected in. They're not welcome. They weren't invited. You didn't initiate it. They just happened to you. Trials happen to you. Things like a global pandemic. You're just going about life. And then March 2020 happens and the whole world as we knew it changed. It's a trial. A trial is a sickness. You go to the doctor to get your regular physical or just a normal checkup and you find out you got cancer. All of a sudden you're, you're, you're thrust into a trial. If you're a parent watching this, uh, you're doing distance learning. And, and, and is anybody with me on this? Like math has changed in elementary school since I was in elementary school. I've used Google for fourth grade math more times than I'd like to admit. It's not the same as it once was. I'm just saying it's a trial. It's different. I didn't ask for it. I didn't sign up for it, but I'm in it. You're in it. We're in it. It's a trial. Our list could go on and on, but what I want you to understand that it, it, a trial, it, ha it comes from the outside. It happens to us. In a moment, James is going to shift gears and he's going to talk to us about temptations, trials and temptations. If, if you're looking at your, your physical Bible, there's probably a header that says trials and temptations. Trials come from the outside and happen to us. Temptations come from the inside and we actually act on it. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But not only does God want to use trials to mature us, uh, I think it's important for us to know that, that James would want us to know we need to get God's perspective whenever we face a trial. And that's why, why he says this. He says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. Now, now, I don't think James is challenging us. I don't think he's inviting us to be masochist. I don't think he's, he's, we should be giddy, like, oh my gosh, this hurts so bad. I'm so joyful. I don't think that's what he's saying here. Here at all. That, that word consider could also be translated suppose. It could be translated be of the opinion. It, it could be, be translated to make the choice to believe. In other words, he's saying in any season of life, you have a choice. Like we talked about last week, we can choose joy. We can consider it pure joy. That when we face a trial, we really have two choices. We can say, you know what? Life is really stacked against me. You know what? This is really hard. Matter of fact, I think maybe God's out to get me. And that will lead you to leave living life from a posture of a victim, a victim mentality. Life's out to get me. Or we can make a choice. We can consider it pure joy. We, we, could, we could suppose, we could be of the opinion. We can choose to believe that God's got a greater plan at play. And he's using this trial to make me mature, to make me complete, to lead me to a place where I don't need anything. And that's what, what, what James is saying to the church. You can choose, you can choose your, your attitude here. Here's what's important for all of us to know in the midst of this season. You cannot choose your trial, but we can all choose our attitude. We can all make a choice. We, we can consider it. We can suppose, we can choose to believe with pure joy, God's got a bigger plan and I'm trusting his plan. Or we can choose to be a victim. One leads to a victim mindset. The other leads to a kingdom mindset. Your heavenly father's got your back and there's a purpose in every single pain. Next thing we can do is trust God's process. Trust God's process. James wanted his church to know in the midst of their suffering that, that when they were suffering, they could trust God's process. And I want you to know today that you can trust God's process. There's this football team called the Alabama Roll Tide, you might've heard of them. They're not called the Alabama, but the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, Nick Saban, you might've heard of him. He just won another national championship. What Nick Saban preaches is process. It's not about the end result. It's about the process that the players go through. And as a result, they're champions. 
And isn't it nice to know that God's been developing champions from the foundation of the world and God has a process and he's inviting you to trust him in the midst of that process. And here's the challenge though, sometimes his process is less than we desire. Because here's what it says in James. We're gonna see James say the same thing, the apostle Paul say it, and then Peter says the same thing. Trust the process. Here it is in James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because... Because you know that the testimony of faith develops perseverance. And check this out. Perseverance must finish its work. In other words, trust the process so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Here's what the Apostle Paul would say in Romans 5, 3 through 4. He says, not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. <laughs> Why? That doesn't make logical sense because we know that our suffering, it produces something in us. It produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. You wanna be a man or woman of great character? You wanna be a man or woman filled with great hope? Well, here's the, here's the challenge. It's gonna come through suffering because that produces perseverance. Oftentimes we want the end result, but we're not so sure about the process. And James is just telling the church, trust God's process. Peter would say this in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Let's just pause right there. Why don't you say that out loud? For a little while. It's just for a little while. It's not going to be forever. You say, well, I don't know. My condition is terminal. It's going to last a lifetime. Listen, it's for a little while. If it continues, if we're in a global pandemic for the rest of our life, this would still be true. It's only a little while. In an eternal perspective, our life is short. It's just a vapor. It's just a little while. You rejoice greatly, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief of, and all kinds of trials. Maybe you can relate to this. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and that it may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I'm just saying we gotta trust the process. There's a process at play in your life today. If you're in a trial, you're in a struggle, there's a process. The Bible says over and over, trust the process. And I know this isn't super popular or fun teaching. I'm sure there's probably not a whole lot of whooping it up or amens in the chat right now. But I'm just telling you, this is biblical Christianity. You can't avoid it. You see it at every turn. God desires to develop you to be the man or woman he created you to be. And he uses trials to get us there, to develop us, to mature us. It's kind of like um, Tiffy and I, we have... We have, have kids and they're, they're awesome kids. I, I'm, I'm kind of partial. I love them. Uh, they're a big deal. But here's what I know to be true of my boys anyway. I got a first grader and a fourth grader. If it were up to them, they would sleep in as late as they want and like play Xbox all day in their PJs and eat like gummy bears nonstop. That would be their day. They wouldn't brush their teeth. They wouldn't get up to go to school. They wouldn't take a shower. They wouldn't eat anything healthy. But part of my responsibility as their father is to say, no, son, you got to get up on time. You got to take some responsibility here. You got some things you need to do to help out around the house. You got, you got to go to school. And, and like for many of you parents, like it's, it's like, you know, it's not a pleasant moment. 
from their limited perspective, they could see it as a trial. But from my fatherly perspective, I'm trying to develop them to be men of character. And I'm just saying from my limited perspective, sometimes what feels like a crushing trial is perhaps just my heavenly father trying to develop me to be the man he created me to be. And perhaps the same is true of you right here, right now. God uses trials to develop us, trust his process. A lot of times, whenever things seem to be out of control, we, we, we're like, there's a whole lot of ambiguity. And, and I'll be the first to say, I, my name's Tim Perkins, and I hate ambiguity. And this season has been filled with nothing but ambiguity. And I had a friend tell me one time, he said, Tim, you may not know all the answers, but what do you know to be true? And I would just ask you the same thing. What do you know to be true right here, right now, in the midst of the trial? What do you know to be true? And here's what we know to be true. I may not have all the answers, but here's what I know to be true. I know he's good even when life doesn't feel good. I know he's got a plan regardless if I understand it or not. I know he's my loving heavenly father and he always has my best interest in mind. And come on, Central, I'm just saying, let's trust the process. We may not have all the answers. We may not know the full scope or scale of what he's up to, but he's good. He does good and he has good in store for you. Trust the process. The second point is this, that we can, that we can use trials to draw close to God. There's something about trials, right, that draw us close to God that pleasant seasons just don't even scratch the surface on. It was C.S. Lewis who said this, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to wake a deaf world. Maybe God's trying to speak to you. Maybe he's trying to draw you closer to him in the midst of this season of trial. I love this quote. It's from Charles Spurgeon. It's my favorite quote of 2021. It's something I've been chewing on a lot lately. I was going to label this point, uh, kiss the wave, but instead I've labeled this whole message. The message is titled kiss the wave. And you're like, maybe you saw that earlier and you're like, what does kiss the wave mean? Here's where it comes from. It comes from Charles Spurgeon. And here's what he said. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And while we may not like the wave, we all desire the end results. We just want more of God in our life, more of his presence, more of his power, more, of, more passion to pursue him. That's the end goal. And we've, so therefore we learn to kiss the wave that throws us against the rock of ages. God uses trials to draw us close to him. James was hoping that his scattered church would learn to kiss the wave, that they would grow to this place of spiritual maturity where they would learn to consider it pure joy when they face trials of many kind. Because the trials that we face in life, they have a tendency to throw us against the rock of ages. Second thing we see is to ask for help. We can, we can ask for some help in the midst of challenging Season. This might seem like a no-brainer, but here's what I know to be true of, of, of people. People in the church, after pastoring for several years, I see it in my own life. I see it, I see it on a regular basis. You might say like, Tim, well, I know we're supposed to pray, but, but this is probably true for most of us watching this. Whenever we face a trial, when we face a situation, we don't know what to do. We don't understand. What do we do? We try to gather our own resources we try to tap into our own network, our own circle of influence, say, maybe there's someone out there that could help me. We bounce ideas off of buddies and family members and friends. And then whenever we've exhausted all of our resources, what do we say? Well, I don't know what else to do, but pray about it. 
And I'm just saying, what if instead of prayer being our, our last resort, what if prayer was our first line of defense? And that's what James encourages the church to do. And here's what he says in James chapter one in verse five, he says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Again, if you're taking some extra notes, you might wanna write this one down. Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the spiritual capacity to see, evaluate life and behave from God's point of view. So whenever you're in a trial, whenever you're in a season where you don't know which way is up, which way is down, you got ambushed by this trial. You didn't ask for it, but it's now in your lap. And you're like, God, what are you doing here? James says, ask him for wisdom and he's gonna give it to you. Not only is he gonna give it to you a little bit, he's gonna give it to you generously to all without finding fault. And what's he gonna give you? He's gonna give you the capacity to see from his perspective. He's gonna give you the capacity to evaluate life from his vantage point. He's gonna give you the capacity the wisdom to behave from his point of view. And James is saying, you gotta ask, you gotta ask. So if you wanna know what God thinks, ask him. If you wanna know what he's doing in your family right now, ask him. If you wanna have the power of God in your life to push through any circumstances that you might face, James would just say, ask him. He's a generous God and he'll give it to you. He's not gonna find fault. Then we see we need to stand firm in our faith. We need to stand firm in our faith. We're gonna ask for his help. We're gonna stand firm in our faith. And, and I almost put this, instead of saying stand firm in our faith, stand firm in your attitude. Now, I've been thinking about this this week in preparation for this message. Uh, throughout the Bible, what if we just exchange faith for attitude? Because here's what your attitude is. Attitude is your outlook on life circumstances. And faith is your response to life circumstances. And so whenever I have a, a faith-filled attitude, I believe that my God is for me, so who can be against me? And what does that result in? A faith-filled attitude. My attitude is God's for me, who can, get, who can be against me? My attitude in any trial would be, you know what? Maybe God's trying to develop me. He's trying to make me mature, complete, not needing anything. Both of those require this. And James is just saying, hey, in the midst of your trial, stand firm in your, in your faith. James 1, 6 through 8, it says this. But when we ask, so we're going to ask God for wisdom, but when we ask, we must believe and not doubt. We must stand firm in our faith because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord because he is, he's, the Bible uses this phrase, he's a double-minded man. He, in other words, he's saying, God, I want you to help me. God, you're a good father. God, would you come through for me? God, I want your perspective. God, I need your power in this present moment. But on the other hand, they're saying, I don't think you really will help me. I don't think you really will come through. I don't know that you will give me your power to push through this trialing, trying season that I'm in. I just don't, I don't know. And so we need to stand firm in our faith. Otherwise we're like that man, just blown and uh, God's for me. Who could be against me? I, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm just saying like, uh, again, to my kids, like if, if, if my kids come to me and they say, dad, I got a problem. I'm facing a tough situation. I don't know what to do. Dad, could you give me your perspective? 
Dad, could you help me understand your view on my circumstances? Dad, would you, would you, would you give me some, some help so I can have the power to, to, to tackle this task? And then if I hear them talking in the other room, like, I don't think dad's really gonna help me. I don't think dad's really gonna come through. Well, man, that's super insulting because it questions my character. And I think that's what James is saying here. On one hand, we need to ask God. He's gonna give generously. But, but to doubt is to say, maybe God's not generous. Maybe he's not willing to help. Maybe he's not strong enough. And let me just say this. As a father, when my kids come to me with a problem, it empowers me as their dad. And I think it empowers your heavenly father as well. I love it when my baby girl comes to me and says, says Daddy, I can't open this jaw. Can you help me? And I say, absolutely, baby girl. Daddy's got big muscles. Open that puppy up. There you go. Whoa, daddy does have big muscles. That's what she says. And I love it. It empowers me as her father. And I'm just saying to some of you, stand firm in your faith because perhaps your daddy's about to show you his big muscles. Don't you doubt. Keep an attitude that says, God's for me. Who can be against me? If he created the world, he created the cosmos and the Bible says the same spirit resides in me, then wow, this situation is cookie cutter. I got it under control. God's gonna show up big. We're gonna hang on to that. We're gonna stand firm in faith. We're gonna keep an attitude that says God can do anything. I wanna just read this passage in Peter. Peter 1, 7 as kind of, I don't mean to be weird about it, but maybe just as like a prophetic word for you in this season. And here's what it says. It says, these trials, now you put yourself here, whatever trial you're facing, Whatever, whatever situation you're up against, whatever seems to be eating your lunch, whatever you didn't ask for, but it's in your lap, and now you gotta deal with it. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith far more precious than mere gold, so that when your faith remains strong through many, many trials, not just one, but many trials, it will bring glory. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole, whole world. Hang on, people. Hang on. These trials, they're, they're doing something in you. They're producing something in us. These trials aren't for your harm. It's not to crush you. It's to develop you. Hang on. Hang on, Central Family. You got this. And then, just like that, James shifts gears. He shifts gears to from trials that come from the outside in to temptations that come from the inside of us and we act on them. And, and these are interesting. It's interesting, this pivot here. But, but I think it's because in trying seasons, perhaps we face temptation differently than we do in any other season. But perhaps we, we, we go, well, you know what? Like this is tough. Therefore, I'm gonna indulge in this. You know what? This is, this is kind of unfair. Therefore, I'm gonna act in this way. And James knows that, so he pivots from trials immediately to temptations. And here's what you need to know. Here's the third point if you're taking notes. Satan wants to use temptation to destroy us. Satan desires to use temptation to destroy us. I'm just saying, you got a very real enemy and you need to be very mindful of that reality. All temptation has this one goal in mind and that is to pull you away, pull me away from God and who God created us to be. Here it is in James uh, chapter one in, in verse 13. It says this, when tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each one is tempted when by his own desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Trials, we all face them. Temptation, we all deal with them. And James wants us to understand the process. He wants us to understand the process of temptation. There's a process. And for some of us, if we just know what to expect, if we just know what we're going to be up against, sometimes it helps us to navigate that temptation to find a healthy way out so we don't, we don't get lured away and, and dragged away, as, as James says. So there's a process, and, and here it is again, uh, James 1, 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin. When it's full grown, it gives birth to death. There's a progression that we see here. I'm going to give you three Ds. Here's the first one. The first is deception. This is the moment that temptation takes place. Now, now we all experience this. It was Martin Luther, the famous reformer that says, you, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. Like you can't stop temptation from coming your way, but you can't avoid indulging in it. And so there's this deception element. And here's what's true. It, it says when we're tempted, it looks appealing, like it looks, it looks very appetizing. It looks like it will satisfy, but it's, it's deception. It's kind of like this, this fishing metaphor. In some translations that you might be reading say, when you're, we're lured away and enticed, it's like a fishing lure. And, and, and the enemy, you just need to know, he's got a fishing lure with your name on it. And here's what's true of fishing lures. They look good. Otherwise, fish wouldn't bite them. It looks very appetizing. Otherwise, they wouldn't hit that lure. But when they do, you just need to know there's a razor sharp hook in there ready to rip in your face. It's not pleasant. There's deception, but it looks very appealing. And the second thing here is desire. And here's what you need to know. The lure that the enemy uses, it's, it's, it's kind of catered to you. Here's what James says. It says, says, says this, that, that they are dragged away by their own. Like it's, not, it's unique for you. They're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Here's, what, here's what's true for all of us. Like what may be enticing to you may be repulsive to me. And you hear people say like, I, I just don't see how anybody could struggle with that. And that's because that lure is, is perfectly crafted for their desires. But here's what's true. You have a lure crafted for yours. And so something that may be very tempting to you may be repulsive to me. But something that would be very attractive to me is, is absolutely repulsive to you. And so here's what I'm asking, church. Maybe we should have some empathy with people. Whenever we see people struggling with a sin that is different, that's because it's their own. It's their own evil desires that the enemy's playing on. It's different from yours. But listen, you have a lure. I have a lure. It's temptation. It's deception. And it plays on our desires. And that leads to our disobedience. And this is where we act on something that we know is less than God's best for our lives. And I don't need to go into a whole lot of detail here because I think we can all know very well what this is for us personally. It's disobedience. It's something that's less than God's best for our lives. And disobedience, it leads to, it just leads to death. That's what, that's what James says. He says, says, sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to, to death. Now, this is literal death. Like, like, 
Death was never a part of our world until sin entered the picture. But God in his mercy didn't want us to live within this fallen state, in this fallen world. Our bodies long to be liberated from sin's curse. Our world, creation itself, longs to be liberated from sin's curse. And therefore we experience death. Because here's what's true. This physical body of mine will die. But who I am, my, my consciousness will continue forever. My soul, my spirit will live on for all of eternity. And the same is true for you. Who you are. On the inside, that's why your character matters so much. That's why God's so interested in developing you to become the man or woman he created you to be. That's why he's willing to go to great extents to help you to become the man or woman he created you to be because you will live forever. Our body will die. You will live forever. But, but, but James isn't just talking about uh, uh, some death down the road when we die and, and pass on from this, this earth, but, but sin leads to death in the short term as well. Death of relationship, death of trust, financial death, death of confidence, death of dignity, death of self-worth, and our list could go on. Sin's effect, it leads to death. Proverbs 14.12 says this, uh, here's what's tricky about sin. There is a way that seems right to a man. Like it looks very appealing. It's very desirable. It's very alluring, but at the end, it leads to death. And so it doesn't just happen overnight, but, but we, we fall into this time and time again. And, and I would say this is the best case for being in God's word every day. Cause I need a mirror to hold up to my face because there's a way that seems right to me. Like my desires will take me to a dark place that leads to death. I need to be in God's word to say, how am I doing? I need to hold it up like a mirror to say, where am I struggling? How, how, can I, how can I strengthen myself in that area of my life? This is also the best case to be in a group because we need some people who can see like, whoa, you're going sideways here. Like, like I think you're on a path that the end is not good. Like it takes you to a dark place. Uh, I saw this uh, sports center a clip on Instagram this week. I want to share it with you real quick. Check this out. Don't you wish you had a teammate like that? We could all have some teammates like that. Like when life seems unfair, when life seems to hit us in the face and we want to get up and go hit them in the face, we need some buddies, some teammates that'll tackle us and say, whoa, 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 whoa. That path leads to your ejection. We need you in the game, bro. And in life, we, there's a way that seems right to us. But if we don't have some people that'll come along and tackle us and say, no, 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 don't go that way. It leads to death. Then man, we'll be in, we'll be in a tough spot. That's why every, almost every week, almost every time you log on, we're saying, get in a group, get in a group. Because man, we need some people, we need some teammates that can help us. Because here's what I know to be true. Here's what's true of me, here's what's true of you. The salesman that sold you on your biggest mistake in your life was you. You sold yourself on that mistake. You think about your biggest blunder. You think about the, I think about the time I blew it the most. Other people were involved, but you know the salesman in my head? It was me. That was a good idea. This will satisfy. This will bring satisfaction. This is a good path. And it left her life riddled with regret. I'm just saying, same is true for you. You're your worst salesman. 
Because there's a path that seems right to you, but it's deceptive. It's deceiving. It plays on your desires. It leads to your disobedience, and that leads to, to death. And the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But your heavenly Father, Jesus, he came to give you life, life to the fullest. Ravi Zacharias, he said this, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost more than you want to pay. Next point is this. We need to be real about our weakness, therefore. We need to be real about our weakness. I was playing golf a couple weeks ago with this guy, and uh, he, he was in, he's in recovery. He's like 90 days clean at this point. Uh, he had this, this kind of meth addiction, and, and after his meth addiction, he started smoking weed, and, and he was like, I just don't want to smoke weed anymore. So I told my wife, he was like painfully honest, this high energy, he's a chatterbox. He's like, I just told my wife, next time you see me calm, next time you see me cool, next time you see me chilling on the couch, you know I'm high. He's like, if I'm ever chill and it seems like all is right with the world, I just want you to know I'm stoned. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a man who's very real about his weakness. He's saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I know I'm, my propensity is to go this direction. I'm going to be real about that. And there's something very refreshing about that level of candor. James 1.16 says this, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Like, don't, it's easy to deceive ourselves. Sometimes it's easy to deceive people around us, but don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Listen, God's got good things. Don't be deceived. First Peter 5.8 says this, uh, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, you're on his hit list. You know why you face those temptations? You know why the struggle's so hard? Because you've got a very real enemy and he's playing on your desires. He's got a lure with your name on it. Be mindful of that. Be aware of that. Fourth and final point is this. We can use temptation as a target for growth. You can use temptation as a target for growth. Let your greatest struggle point you in the direction of your greatest opportunity to grow. Listen, for those of you who struggle with gossip, Gossip is, it's repulsive to God. And if you struggle with gossip, the spiritual discipline, the spiritual antidote to strengthen that weakness could be like a silent fast. Like you just go somewhere like a silent retreat and you just, you just learn to tame your tongue. You say, you know what? This is an area of weakness for me, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna shore up my weakness with the spiritual discipline. For those of you who, who, who like to eat, and I'm just saying, like, who doesn't like to eat? It is COVID-19. We've been locked up in our houses. Only thing we can do is eat. It's become a recreational sport for us. And I'm just saying, if, if we struggle with gluttony, if we struggle with, with overeating, then perhaps the spiritual discipline we need to implement into our life would be a food fast so we can show our stomach who's boss. Like we serve King Jesus, not that plate of deliciousness. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying for every struggle that you have, there is a counterbalance with a spiritual discipline. If you struggle in your thought life, maybe with lust or maybe with, with a variety of things, maybe just your self-confidence, maybe you're always beating yourself up, maybe you're your own worst critic, then the counterbalance with a spiritual discipline of memorizing God's word, feeding your mind healthy things rather than toxic thoughts that plague you from your past, I'm just saying for every spiritual weakness, God offers us a spiritual discipline to strengthen and to shore up that area of our life. We can use our greatest temptation to be a target for growth. It's a choice. 
We can learn from our temptation. And, and a part of learning from our temptation is this next point of learning how to overcome. We need to learn how to overcome. That's what maturity requires of us. James 1.17 says this, for every good and perfect gift, it, it comes from above. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Listen, wouldn't a good heavenly father desire for you to walk in freedom? Wouldn't he desire for you to be an overcomer? Listen, he, he, don't be deceived. He, God can't be mocked, James says. God's got good things in store for you. Why would he say that in conjunction with temptation? Because God desires to provide a way out for you in any temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Listen, you're not the first person to experience that. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, check this out. He's a good father. He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. No temptation has faced you that you can't overcome. God's provided a way out. So how do we, how do we avoid temptation? How do, we, how do we flee from temptation? How do we overcome temptation? Well, you might've heard of the group ACDC. And, uh, and I would just say this, super cheesy, but hopefully it sticks. Next time sin comes to rock your life, you remember ACDC. Here's the A. A is avoid the situation. You can just avoid the situation. I had a pastor tell me early on when I, when I first became a follower of Jesus, and he said, he said this to me. He said, Tim, if you don't want to fall, don't walk where it's slippery. What he was saying is, Tim, you got to avoid some situations. Some situations are going to pull me down and drag me away. It's going to be very enticing to me. And those are the situations I need to avoid and you need to avoid. Second thing we need to do is counter with the word of God. Every time we see Jesus was tempted, what did he do? He countered with the word. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. That, this is called the sword of the spirit for a reason. You can counter temptation. You can become an overcomer by knowing the word of God. And when temptation comes, it'll strengthen you. It'll give you a sword to fight with. You got to counter with the word. And then develop healthy friendships. Again, groups have people around you that you trust, that you can confide in. People, there should be someone in your life who knows everything about you. If there's not someone in your life who knows everything everything about you, your deepest struggles, your greatest victories, then, then, then I, I'm, I'm sorry for you because you're missing out because there's freedom found here. I, I got a buddy, I talk to him on a regular basis. I'm just saying, there's some temptations that I have avoided because I knew Nate was gonna ask me, Tim, how'd you do in this area of your life? I knew it was coming and I didn't wanna tell him I blew it again. So you know what? It helps me. It'll develop healthy relationships. It'll make you strong. It'll help you. And then C, commit to prayer. ACDC, avoid the situation. Counter with the word. Develop healthy friendships. Commit to prayer. Listen, prayer is not powerful. God is powerful. When we talk to God, we, we connect with him who is almighty. Commit to prayer. Be an overcomer. Learn how to overcome. And then finally, live in victory. Live in victory. James says this in James chapter one, verse 18. He says, he chose us. Like, listen, time out. In the midst of all the trials, in the midst of all the temptations, 
He chose you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he chose you. He chose us. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And we're gonna talk more about the word of truth because this word is powerful. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It can bring life into your body. It can, it can, it can set you free. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created. Listen, live in victory. He chose you. And, and as followers of Jesus, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. I close with this. Um, you may have heard that the Kansas City Chiefs are in the playoffs. Uh, the Raiders aren't. Sorry about that. But the Kansas City Chiefs, baby, playing for the AFC Championship today, Sunday. Let's go. And, uh, and hey, last week was a crazy game. Because of my work, I typically don't get to, uh, don't get to watch football games, especially on the West Coast, because normally football games start like 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. So I typically DVR them. And I'm just saying, watching a game on DVR versus watching it in real time is very different. I'll, I, you know, whenever I watch a game on DVR, inevitably, I get some kind of a notification. Like I get, someone tells me like, hey, did you see the Chiefs blew it? Or hey, did you see the Chiefs won? And so I go home and by the time I watch it, I watch it in ease of knowing the outcome of the game. But last week, I was watching it in real time. And I was doing what every good spiritual leader does. I was pacing the living room and yelling at the TV for about a good 15 or, or 20 minutes. But here's what took place. For those of you who saw the game, those of you who don't care, here, here's, you just need to know this. The Kansas City Chiefs were on a roll, baby. Patrick Mahomes was dropping dimes. We're up against the Cleveland Browns. And, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Patrick Mahomes, our star quarterback, gets tackled and he has a concussion. Like, Pat, he couldn't even stand up. Like, he tried to stand up. He doesn't even have his legs. And so this guy who no one's even heard of, even if you are a Chiefs fan, comes in at the quarterback position and things are not looking good. Like, like so, so the Browns, the Cleveland Browns, that's the thing. I was like, if we're going to lose to a team, don't let it be the Cleveland Browns. That's awful. But the, the Browns had momentum. They're marching. They're scoring at will. And it comes down to the last play of the game. And we get the first down and we win the game. I'm just saying, my blood pressure was elevated. My watch was telling me I need to chill out because my heart rate's getting too high. Your boy was stressed out. But when I got a DVR, I don't know the end. I know the outcome. Throw the flag. Set us back 20 yards. It doesn't matter because I know we win. We get an injury on the play. We're going to get all right. The, the time's winding down. The, the, the scoreboard, the odds are stacked against us. I'm just eating popcorn. I'm good because I know we got the victory. And I'm just telling you, church, you got the victory. We've read how this game ends. You are victorious. Jesus wins. And I know in 2020, I know in 2021, we've gotten some penalties. It looks like we've faced some setbacks. I know we've got some, some players that are on injured reserves. I know the clock is winding down. I know the scoreboard doesn't look like it's in our favor, but I'm just telling you, sit back, enjoy some popcorn. God wins. He's got the victory. Therefore, whenever we face trials of many kinds, we can face them with pure joy. We can remember that God's using trials to draw us closer to him.
because isn't that the end result that we all desire anyway? Regardless, if it's a trial from the outside or some deep, dark temptation on the inside, we can all apply Charles Spurgeon's words and learn to kiss the wave because it dashes us against the rock of ages. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you, God, that the challenges that we face today are not uncommon to followers of Jesus throughout all the centuries. So God, for every individual, and I know there's some people in the central family that are in the midst of some very real trials. Jesus, I'm asking you, would you speak to them? Would you give them perspective on their circumstances? God, would you show them your point of view? God, would you give them the power and the ability to operate and function in life from your perspective? And God, I know in the midst of this season of trial, we're faced with all kinds of temptations. So Jesus, would you strengthen your church, I pray. God, would you help us to be overcomers? Would you help us to to apply ACDC so that we might be people who represent you well, that we we would experience life and not death. God, would you strengthen your church to that end? In Jesus' name, amen.